A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast brought to you by CJP Economics, a collaboration between Jim Power and Chris Johns, where we discuss the intersection between politics, finance, and economics. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found at our Substack website, and that Substack site also contains our extensive body of written work. Thanks for listening and reading. If you like our work, please share with your friends and sign up to our newsletter. I just notice on Bloomberg where Elon Musk has had his first address to the employees of Twitter since he took over the company and he is warned of the possibility of bankruptcy if it doesn't start generating cash soon. That's on the back of the $44 billion he paid for the company. And there is an accompanying story that Wall Street banks that fund $13 billion of the takeover are now sounding out hedge funds and other asset managers to determine if they have any interest in buying some of that debt at deeply discounted prices. So this is an amazing mess that Musk seems to have got himself into at this juncture. So I'd be interested in your views on that in a few minutes. Um, I notice also that the, the whole crypto story continues to evolve in a very worrying way. Um, the company or the Bitcoin exchange F or the cryptocurrency exchange FTX um, is now in serious, serious difficulty. And I see where a U.S. investment fund, Sequoia Capital Management, has written down its investment of $250 million in the company to zero. So this is just the ongoing implosion of what we always believed was a pretty unsustainable 
um, market in any event. So I think they're, they're two interesting stories. But the dominant themes I think we need to talk about today, what's happening on the inflation front. We've had Irish inflation, German inflation, US inflation. We've had a remarkable reaction on financial markets, particularly to the US inflation number. We've seen bond yields fall. We've seen the dollar lose considerable ground on the exchanges. And um, we've seen equity markets make absolutely incredible gains. The Twitter thing is nested within the overall tech woes thing that you and I have talked about. And one of the things that I've noticed, particularly and obviously in the Irish media this week, there's been about 142 different articles asking the question, what does it mean for Ireland? And with the notable exception of your insight-filled article in the Examiner, Jim, and also on our Substack site, they've all, they're all the same. They're all exactly the same, actually. Um, and I wouldn't for a second suggest that they've all read each other and have just borrowed what everybody else has been saying. But they, they repeat at this stage tired old statistic that um, most of Ireland's tax revenues seem to come from 10 companies, that uh, corporation tax is a, a windfall that just keeps on giving that might about what goes up must come down. It talks about the contractors, how many people will be reliant on these companies, even if these companies only have a job cuts in the hundreds. Will it mean job cuts uh, in the thousands for the many contractors that supply these things? And economists would say, well, that's the discussion about the multiplier. There's a lot of stuff about UK property currently today. The MSCI property index, which is both commercial and residential, is down 4.3% in the third quarter. That apparently is the worst performance since 2009, well over a decade ago. So that's quite serious. And finally, the other thing I'd mentioned for the agenda, which of course, we're not going to get through, as always, um, I think that's going to be the catchphrase for the other hand, we're not going to get through the agenda, one for every market, one for everybody in the audience, our audience doesn't see our agenda completed. Um, the EU is forecasting EU recession today. So I, I think that's important. That's significant. But starting off with Twitter, yeah, um, Musk, uh, it has been speculated. I've seen at least one article suggesting that he might be about to drive the valuation of that company to zero. He himself has seemed to echo those remarks in a, an address to um, his his workforce. He doesn't appear to be a very good CEO, contrary to all of the things that people say about him when, when it comes to his other companies like Tesla and SpaceX. He seems to be making a right bollocks for Twitter so far with a lot of Rishi Sunak style U-turns in the sense that he implements one thing and then rows back from it. Uh, charging, not charging, blue ticks, not blue ticks, verification, not verification. So it, it does appear to be a complete mess. Lots of people have taken out insurance with other Twitter style social media accounts. Mastodon, I think, is the one that you and I have talked about. I've looked at it. It's a bit confusing. It's nowhere near as user-friendly as is Twitter. So that remains to be seen. But the mere fact that so many people are taking out insurance is very interesting. The fact that his bonds are being sold at a steep discount, or at least suggestions that his bonds are being sold at a steep discount, suggests that Wall Street is taking a view and it would be interesting to see just how much demand there is for the paper that's been issued to fund the purchase of, or to help fund the purchase of Twitter. There's a more general point about funding that stretches over into the whole crypto debate. It's 
uh, in a way, started with the debacle in UK financial markets with Kwesi Kwarteng's one and only budget. In that budget, Kwesi Kwarteng blew up, came to close to blowing up the UK financial systems via uh, what ended up with a big collateral call in um, UK gilt markets, bond markets. And this is something that generally happens when interest rates go up. People that have borrowed too much money end up in trouble. And I call it the great inverted U of life or the great inverted U of financial markets, certainly. And it applies in so many different ways. You could draw a graph with an upside down U. Perhaps it looks like an N. Perhaps I should call it that. In which if you are to the left of the peak of this inverted U, you're in a happy place. If you're at the actual peak, then you are in a blissful place. But if you're on the right-hand side of this, you're in trouble. Arthur Laffer drew his famous Laffer curve to describe it in precisely this, the, the terms of an inverted U. That once you are at the top of this particular curve, if you move to the right, which means putting tax rates up to the point where tax revenues fall, you're in trouble. You're not in a happy place. Where politicians want to be is to the left of the peak, which is when they put interest rate, uh, put tax rates up, revenues go up. And so it is with leverage, with borrowing. A little bit of leverage, a little bit of borrowing is a good thing. It can help people when they buy their houses with a mortgage, are leveraged, are uh, have got a lot of debt. And most of the time, that's okay. But people, when they borrow too much money to buy their houses, when and particularly when house prices fall and or they lose their jobs or for whatever reason, servicing the debt becomes a problem, they are to the right of the bliss point, then that's when we get trouble. And what we never know is who's to the left, who's to the right of this equilibrium bliss point. In uh, financial markets, when interest rates go up, we often find out where people are. And it was quite clear that the pension fund industry, of all industries, the most boring, the most uninteresting aspect of financial markets that you could possibly imagine, the pension fund industry had gotten itself to the right of this bliss point and had taken on too much debt. This is also happening in crypto, and it may have happened to Elon Musk as well. We don't know, but speculation is rife. And it's when you find that the value of the collateral you have to post, the security you have to offer, falls in price, that uh, you you are asked to put up more cash to back your loans. It's called a, a collateral call. And this appears to have been at least part of what's happened to certain crypto firms that have, has caused the absolute crash in crypto prices. It's all very technical and it's all to do with liquidity. And it's all to do with liquidity that threatens ultimately to become such a big problem that previously sound solvent firms become bankrupt. So solvency crises that get to be so big in the financial system that cause financial institutions previously unheard of, previously so obscure, you wouldn't want to hear of them failing and taking down other institutions because everybody in the financial system has borrowed money from everybody else. Leverage becomes the problem. Borrowing is the problem. And everybody starts reneging on their debts, creating liquidity issues, creating bankruptcy issues. And then it spreads to the real economy. And when it does that, you have a slowing real economy. You have the potential for a recession. 
And you even have in extremists, and I stress extremists, what happened in the 1930s. 1930s was caused by banks failing, going under because they couldn't service their debts. Boom, off we went. We had an economic depression. That's what spooked the Bank of England. We're going to get more of this, Jim. Um, What's happened in crypto is going to pop up elsewhere if interest rates continue to rise in the way that they do. So I know we've talked about this before, but it's worth emphasizing. Um, The only hope is now, and you mentioned it in the context of the US inflation data, is that the peak in interest rates may not be too far away. It was an extraordinary day in financial markets yesterday with the US equity market rising by the most in two and a half years. But the extraordinary thing is, Jim, is that markets, equity markets, have been going up now for six weeks. It's almost as if they've anticipated yesterday's event, almost, but not quite, because obviously a a rise of over 5% means that it wasn't all in the price. But equity markets definitely today, it could all change by this afternoon, have a better feel. Do you think that it's, it's time to start talking about the peak in interest rates being close? Well, the the move um, Thursday and into Friday was extraordinary on financial markets. The US 10-year bond yield is now down at 3.8%. Euro dollar is up at 103, having been at 96, 97 in recent times. Sterling dollar is up at 118, and that hit virtual parity after Quasi Quartang's budget. So there's an amazing, and of course, as you say, stock markets have had an absolutely remarkable time. Um, I have, and I, we've discussed this, but I, I have felt that equity markets would remain extremely vulnerable and volatile until we get clear indications that the interest rate cycle, particularly in the States, is peaking. And yesterday really was the first strong indication that that may now be starting to happen. I think it's too early to call the all clear because if you think about what Jay Powell said after the last Fed meeting, that interest rates would peak higher than the markets currently anticipate. Perhaps that view will change now, but I don't think the Fed will pivot based on one month's inflation data, but it certainly is a step in the right direction. And, um, you know, this sort of relief in equity markets um, is good news. Uh, But I'm just not sure. Uh, I wouldn't be confident that we can call the all clear at this stage. So I think we just um, enjoy and ride the rebound we're seeing in in markets at the moment. But to me, it's too early to declare that um, we're out of this bear market and that we're going to move in an upward direction again. It's in, in the context of that inflation data that drove this market rally. It is interesting to note that Powell's favoured yield curve predictor of recession has now become inverted, signalling that a recession is likely. So that's another argument as to why the interest rate cycle shouldn't peak, but then, or sorry, are close to peaking. But then the other side of that coin is economic recession. Is that good for equity markets? So I, I think equity markets are conflicted at the moment. There's a lot of um, conflicting evidence. As I say, I don't believe we're out of the woods yet. I think we're going to remain volatile, potentially weak for the foreseeable future. There's lots of um, interesting headlines about all of this around the place. And I go back to our original discussion uh, of Twitter. And there's a lovely tweet from one of my favorite military bloggers about the Ukraine war. And he's saying that Ukrainian infantry are being hugged and kissed by civilians in Kherson's 
main square. So as we speak, there's a, a great story emerging from there, from certainly anybody that's on the side of Ukraine. And another tweet from another interesting person, the Kherson Front, and this is where it's relevant to our discussion, I hasten to add, the Kherson Front is collapsing faster than Twitter. We, we are seeing some extraordinary things developing. On the subject of headlines, one of the stories or columns in the FT today, only recently put up, is as follows. The big tech job cull may be the start of things to come. This is where I think it could get serious, really serious for Ireland, if that sort of headline is an accurate prediction of things to come. Because uh, I think we've gotten so used to good news, to things coming in better than expected from the corporate sector in Ireland. I have a growing fear. It's no more than that, because we don't have the data. We don't have enough information to be able to say with any precision just how bad it's going to be. But I think that it would be wise to assume that it is going to be bad and that the days of big positive surprises from both the corporation tax take and the jobs market are over and that this might even have implications for things like uh, house prices and rents in Ireland. I don't know whether you agree with that caution, Jim. I would agree in the sense that uh, clearly we are now in a significant reversal of the tech sector after a prolonged period of manic growth in terms of employment, in terms of earnings. So it's hard to say that this is a pause for breath. Um, I think it's a more fundamental correction in a situation that had become totally out of kilter with reality. And of course, it's the deterioration in the economic environment, rising interest rates that has prompted this um, correction. So, yeah, you'd have to be concerned. I think there's about 100,000 people employed in the tech sector in this country. Um, It accounts for somewhere between three and four billion of the 16 billion in corporate tax revenues we took in last year. All of that employment is not going to disappear. All of those tax revenues are not going to disappear. But you could certainly see a reduction in both employment and in tax revenues coming from the tech sector. As I mentioned in our previous podcast, one of the good anchors for Ireland in the FDI space is the fact that the the pharma and the chemical and pharma sector is just so strong and is so deeply ingrained in this country, accounting for 65% of our exports of goods. Um, It's a major driver of corporate tax revenues and, in fact, is the biggest driver. And, of course, with pharma and the whole chemical sector, it it is relatively recession-proof, not totally, but it is relatively recession-proof. And if you look at the future of demographics, for example, in the developed world, the demand for medicines for pharmaceutical products as global populations age is going to remain very strong. So from Ireland's perspective, that chemical and pharma presence here does provide a solid anchor that hopefully will offset some of the negative stuff that will inevitably flow from the woes of the global tech sector at the moment. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We were seeing job losses being announced in this country, in Stripe, in Facebook or Meta, in Twitter. That's what we know about at the moment. And we're likely to see more of that from companies we may never have heard of, really, in the sense that they wouldn't, they're not the high profile ones. Um, but I heard the CEO um, of Microsoft Ireland on radio yesterday saying that Microsoft is still looking for people. Basically, she was inviting CVs from people who were losing their jobs in those tech companies at the moment. Isn't so that, isn't that good news? It's fantastic news. Which, so there's, which, is, there's, which is really positive, really it encouraging. Is, there's, there's elements of our tech sector that's, that are also very, very strong. But, you know, the, the bottom line is, this does represent the first shock we've seen to the FDI model in quite some time. And uh, we do need to manage with care. There is plenty of reason to worry about it. And I think it does call for a cautious approach on the spending front. And I, I was thinking yesterday as I drove back from a conference in Kilkenny about Sinn Féin's spending pledges on all areas, housing, health, etc., how will it be possible to fund all of that spending in the event of this corporate tax bubble starting to burst and, you know, much fewer resources uh, um, at the disposal if Sinn Féin were to get into government? Well, I so, think it's, it's very important, Jim, to know that uh, I think that Sinn Féin needs to take a leaf out of the Conservative UK government. And yeah. the first thing to say is then to deride all expertise and say that uh, just as Michael Gove famously did, that uh, we've had enough of experts. I think they need to take a leaf out of Boris Johnson's book and say that we now believe in cakeism. We want our cake and be able to eat it. And to take a leaf out of Liz Truss's book and say that the sort of things that you've just said about the money perhaps not being there, not nearly to the quite the same extent as before for government spending, is to refer to that as abacus economics. And I think once you adopt that kind of a policy platform, you can believe in anything that you want to and therefore that you can do anything that you want to and indulge in fantasy economics for as long as you want to. And reality will never bite you on the ankles, let alone around the neck, and everything will be fine. Abacus economics is, is a good way of describing it. As I say, I think Sinn Féin's spending proposals, if in government, it will be impossible to deliver on without creating potentially serious problems for Irish financial markets insofar as they exist. Uh, we do have a bond market and we saw back in 2011 what happens when international investors lose confidence in your bond market. Um, we've seen it in the UK writ large over the last three months. What will be interesting to see will be, you know, we are now in the run up to a general election in this country, be it 2024 or 2025, most probably. I think February 25 is when the government can run to. So we are effectively in the run up to that general election. And it will be interesting to see how parties like Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael particularly who are in government but also the Labour Party, Social Democrats, the Greens as well as Sinn Féin what sort of spending pledges they are going to make in the run-up to an election and my, my feeling would be 
they will be all parties to varying degrees will be promising lots of spending and i think the sensible electors will be looking back and saying thinking not that ain't going to be deliverable given where the public finances are at this juncture so strong political pressures emanating from the beginnings of these first signs of concern for tech sector and corporate taxes flowing from that. Um, In terms of the Irish housing market, I I have often compared Dublin to San Francisco in terms of, you know, the very strong tech sector, the impact it has had on the property market in San Francisco. Likewise, here in Dublin, I think that the tech sector has had a huge impact on demand for property, either for buying or more particularly for rental purposes. So if you were to see some of the air deflating from the tech sector and tech employment, you know, perhaps that will deliver some um, amelioration of the dire housing market situation we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, Unfortunately, it would be a a slowdown in the housing market for all of the wrong reasons rather than the right reasons. Uh, But nevertheless, you know, it could ease some of the dramatic pressures we are seeing in our um, property market, particularly here in Dublin. Uh, A a point that will be worth watching also will be, and I have no idea yet, and I don't think anybody has, I'd love to analyse the nature of the jobs that have been lost in these tech companies. I would love to analyse the nationality of the workers that are being left go. And I would I would assume, given how many overseas workers work in those companies in, those, in that sector, um, will those people leave Ireland or will they stay here? Um, I, I suspect they're more likely to leave than to stay because I think many of them are just here to work with the tech company they're working for. But it, it'll be an, an interesting dynamic to see evolving over the coming months. My, my uh, sense, based on not very much evidence, but a bit in, from just talking to people around Dublin and elsewhere in Ireland, is that once they've been in Ireland for a little while, typically they fall in love with the place. And I, if they have a choice, if they have agency in this regard, they would probably prefer to stay rather than to leave. And it's, Chris, how would you fall in love with Ireland? Isn't it a busted flush? Well, if you read the Irish Times and the usual columnists, then yes, we know that it is a hellscape, that um, it, it's just so dreadful that um, we prefer to live in where? Um, I'm not so sure. One of the points that John Fitzgerald in the Irish Times this week has made is comparing Ireland to California in the early 2000s. March 2000 saw a bursting of the most humongous technology bubble in tech share prices and indeed tech business models. Uh, that we've ever seen. And he's saying that if it's like the the experience that California had with respect to its jobs market and its tax revenues, that of course, California in this regard is like Ireland and it is very reliant on tech companies for jobs and for tax revenues, that it went through rather a big problem following that tech bust. And he's raising the prospect, the possibility, speculating, that we could be like California 20-odd years ago. Um, I think my own view is that that's probably, from what we know at the moment, a bit extreme, because this I take that as meaning that the two tech bubbles are comparable. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was back then, 
because there was there were hardly any tech companies that escaped last time. There was very, far less resilience with respect to business models. And I've talked before on this podcast about the resilience of companies like Microsoft and Amazon to what's about to happen. That wasn't nearly so present last time. And it was a much broader bubble that took place. At the moment, this seems to me to be just a problem for companies with single revenue streams derived from advertising. If it spreads from there, then yeah, I think we can start talking about iron and looking like California did 20 years ago with similar big problems. But I th- I think, and I, maybe this is hope, motivated reasoning, but I think that that's a little bit previous. Chris, yesterday, the Central Statistics Office here published the latest inflation data for Ireland. And just like to uh, summarise the main findings from that, uh, it's for October, the headline rate of consumer price inflation at 9.2%, the EU harmonized measure, the harmonized index of consumer prices, that's up by 9.4%. But sticking to the CPI, 9.2%, that is the 13th consecutive month at which the annual rate of inflation has exceeded 5%. Uh, so it's it seems to be coming ingrained in the system. Um, looking at the breakdown, uh, no terrible surprises Food price inflation continues to build up 10.8% and increase by 1% in the month. Um, electricity prices up by 71.2% on the year. And that is due to an increase of 28.1% in electricity bills in October, because October is the month when the utility providers um, implemented the increase in electricity and gas prices. And indeed, natural gas prices up 99.5% on an annual basis, up 37.5% during the month of October. These are absolutely extraordinary numbers. And where, where, where I think that the future of these particular indicators of inflation will be interesting will be in terms of what's happening with natural gas prices at the moment. Um, I think they're down a further 10% today they're still about five times higher than they were prior to uh, this crisis beginning at the beginning of 2021. Um, but when are we going to see these global collapse in natural gas prices materialize in um, the consumer price of gas and electricity falling in this country? Or are we going to? Oh, you have you to. Think? Because we're currently hovering just about over 100 euros per megawatt hour is the wholesale price of gas for the December contract, to be technical about it for a second. And that contract peaked at 350 back on August the 26th. So we're down from 350 euros to 100 euros, just above for the price of natural gas as we speak. So that's a huge fall. And that will, if it is sustained for any decent length of time, it will feed through into retail prices. These things take time. Uh, in my opinion, they take too long, but that's the structure of markets, the way in which they're regulated and the absence of effective competition. That, that's my own opinion, but they will come through. There are all sorts of issues about next winter. There's a big issue about the way in which we allow the gas price to set the electricity price. That should not be happening. That's all to do with the technical structure of Europe's energy markets, including the UK. It is the gas price that ultimately, with these big lags, I don't think should be there, 
do determine the price of electricity. So that's the marginal pricing model? It, it is. Um, okay. The fact that the, the cost of producing electricity from wind, from solar, from nuclear, uh, from coal, it either hasn't risen at all or hasn't risen by much, doesn't make a difference to the price of electricity. The gas price drives the price of electricity. That's just the way it is. The EU and the UK, separately and together, have been making all sorts of noises threatening all kinds of action to try and break the link between natural gas prices and electricity to make it more of an average cost model rather than a marginal cost model. But I've seen nothing to suggest that they're going to have any success. But I would have thought that by this time next year, by the, the onset of next winter, that some action should have been taken so that the uh, electricity we take from wind generation, which in Ireland's case can be 30-40% of electricity on any given day, sometimes more, sometimes less, but that on average is what it is. That should make a difference, whereas at the moment it doesn't. Either these companies are going to be taxed a lot or the, the, the price that they get for their electricity is reflected at the retail level more one-for-one one than it is at the moment. A uh, lot of work to be done, and these are very complicated areas, I do think that we are going to see innovations in Europe's market structure. I just hope that they're positive ones and that this link between the gas price and the electricity price is broken. Yeah, German inflation out this morning, 11.3% headline rate, and the core rate has gone from 47 to 5.1%. So inflation also becoming more embedded in uh, Germany, which poses a quandary for the European Central Bank on December 15th, the next meeting, um, because despite the fact that inflation is becoming more embedded, uh, the economic growth environment um, continues to deteriorate. And as you said earlier, the European Commission today forecasting uh, recession in the European Union. Um, in the German numbers, uh, food price inflation running at 15.5%, uh, just under 5% higher than here in Ireland. Uh, but it is kind of remarkable everywhere now to see these retail food prices increasing dramatically. But a little bit like what's happening on the wholesale gas markets, actually wholesale food prices, the FAO agricultural price index is declining sharply and has been for the last couple of months. So the question then is, will that global trend start to feed into retail food prices here? It, it remains to be seen, but for the, the food processors here, for the manufacturers and so on, and the primary producers, input costs of production are still up dramatically, be it energy costs or fertilizer costs. So there's a lot of conflicting force at play here. But I, I guess my view would be that this upward pressure on food prices will continue to percolate through the system. And I, I've said it many times on this podcast and elsewhere that I think food price inflation really will shadow energy price inflation as a massive issue, you know, yeah. given the significance of food in the household um, budget. We're running out of time, Jim, but I, I will conclude my remarks by saying that uh, I wait now for the European Central Bank to make its classic and often made mistake of raising interest rates by too much over too long a time period. We've got to go through that first. While they're doing that, the European economy, as the European Commission told us today, is moving into recession. Uh, energy prices are falling, gas prices at least. Uh, the supply chain pressures that are present in the world economy are easing a lot. So by the time the European Central Bank has got interest rates up too high for too long, the European economy will have suffered unnecessarily. And then we will begin 
once again to see the European Central Bank reverse its policy mistake with big interest rate cuts. But we've got to live through a bit of classic ECB style pain first. Absolutely. Chris, have a good weekend. Um, I am going to Waterford New CD tonight in Richmond Park, which is something you'd know nothing about either. League of Ireland soccer, it's a promotion relegation playoff. Um, and despite the fact that I'm on the employment of UCD, um, I will certainly be wearing the blue and white of Warford tonight. And tomorrow night, I'm doing a nighttime walk for the Glen of Amal Mountain Rescue fundraising. A full weekend for me. How about you? Good luck with that. I'm, I'll be editing and producing this podcast, Jim. <laughs> Trying to make me feel good. Absolutely. Talk to it you. Mate. Bye. Good talk. Bye, mate. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please sign up to our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com. You can download our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other good podcast platforms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 